Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad he's your friend tonight? Amen. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's everything we need. Oh, how we ought to love him more and more every day. Keeping us, strengthening us, saving us, helping us, healing us, guiding us. Oh, hallelujah. I'm on, my, I'm on a journey. I said, I'm on a journey. I'm on my way to heaven. The old song says, I'm on my way to heaven and I'm so glad. On my way to heaven and I'm so glad. On my way to heaven, and I'm so glad. Aren't you glad you're on your way to heaven? So glad. The devil can't turn me around. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, Acts 26. Acts 26. One verse here tonight. Praise God. Good to see you all in the house of the Lord. Sister Joy, been praying for you. The Lord take care of you. Sister Joanna is in Oxford Hospital, and they're going to do a heart cath on her in the morning. That's the plan, so say a prayer for her. If you will, you can do that right now. Why don't we just pray for her, Jesus? Thank you for healing many times. Touch Sister Joanna, make everything all right. Lord, let everything be found in good shape. Lord, you'll heal her and take care of her. Touch Sister Joy as she goes through her test. Be with her, Lord. Make everything all right. Oh, God, heal little Zuri tonight. God, rebuke everything that's against that body in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts 26, 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise from the dead. Let's read it out loud together. Is it on the screen there? Why don't you read it out? Ready? Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You may be seated. Let me preach to you for a little, about, a little while tonight or talk to you a little while about remarkable but not incredible. Remarkable, but not incredible. The word remarkable means uncommon. And for a resurrection in those days, it was uncommon. We knew that Lazarus was dead, but and Jesus raised him from the dead. And in the Old Testament, there were, the boy was, uh, had died, and the prophet breathed on him, if you will, and uh, he lived again. And we know that resurrection <coughs> was remarkable. In other words, uh, to me, remarkable means outstanding. It, uh, it, however, does mean Uncommon. It's not something that you see every day. There have been people raised from the dead in our generation, in our time. But the word incredible 
is in this verse, and it says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Incredible is a word overused, I think, and misused. When I say incredible, I mean it can't be believed. It's not credible. When a lot of people say it, they use it, I think, as it's extraordinary. Not that it can't be believed, but it's just out of the ordinary as to seem impossible. I may have taken that, you might think I've taken that definition a little too far, but credible simply means reasonable grounds for belief or trustworthy. But if it is incredible, it's too unlikely to be Believed, that's what it means, or unbelievable, extraordinary, and astonishing. Think of it this way. When you say curable, that means a disease can be cured. But if it can't be cured, it is incurable. Credible, incredible. Curable, incurable, corrupt, incorruptible, incorruptible, excusable, or if you ever told somebody that's inexcusable, your children especially, it's finite or it's infinite. There is either justice or injustice, so it's either Credible or incredible. We're living in a dark age of skepticism when people are unwilling to believe anything positive about God. They want to blame God, but they don't even want to believe there's a God. They refuse to believe in miracles. They refuse to believe in heaven. And some refuse to believe in the resurrection. To them, the Bible is a collection of incredible stories that were authored by men. But my Bible tells me, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or God breathed it, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Ask whether they believe that the Old and New Testament Scripture were the inspired and inerrant Word of God in, in faith, history, and secular matters. Mainline ministers responded no in overwhelming numbers. Can you believe that? Mainline ministers. Episcopalians 95% of them said, no, it's not inspired and inerrant. Methodists, 87%, I'm told, and Presbyterians, 82%, saying that the New Testament Scriptures was, was uh, not inspired and, and it was not the inerrant Word of God. 
But I got news for you. There were 40 authors approximately, 66 books. It took 1,600 years to write it. There are over 2,000 accurately fulfilled predictions in the Bible, including some 300 specific details and implications about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. For example, Isaiah 53 beautifully describes the life of Christ 700 years before it took place. Even the town of Jesus' birth was foretold in the Old Testament, Micah 5, 2. And there are no, and there are no prophetic failures. I submit to you that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is inspired by God. How could have 40 authors wrote it and 66 books and it taken 1,600 years to write it and they do not contradict each other? I'd call it the Word of God. Luke in his day spoke to the current culture of doubt. Luke 1, 1 and 2 said, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration or declare those of those things which are most surely believed among us. There's some writers that took, took it in hand to write it and declare those things that's believed about uh, among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Hallelujah. Luke, among many other, um, uh, among other disciples, saw it themselves, and they wrote it down in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, if you will, and uh, they harmonized. One saw one part of it, another saw another part of it, but they didn't contradict each other. I say it's the word of God, right? It seemed good to the Holy Ghost to inspire this holy man, Luke, with the most correct knowledge of much of Jesus' birth, preaching, miracles, sufferings, death, resurrection, and ascension that the sincere, upright followers of God might have a sure foundation on which they might safely build their faith. He could be believed. He is not incredible. He's credible. The Word of God is credible. It's remarkable, but it's credible, not incredible. <clears throat> Everything that had been done or said by Jesus Christ was so public, so plain, and so accredited, and I'm told by thousands of witnesses that it left no reason to doubt. There are atheists and agnostics today that don't want to believe Jesus is God. Number one, they don't even want to believe there's God. But they can't prove, they, they can't prove that there was not a Jesus and there was not a resurrection. History tells us a lot of it. The Bible tells us a lot of it. And I'm going to go into some more of it. But there were skeptics, and today there are skeptics. It may be impractical, but it's not impossible. It may be unreasonable to the finite mind, but it can be believed. There was a resurrection. Phenomenal it may be. 
Known, the, the phenomenal simply means known through the sense, through the senses rather than more than the thought or, or intuition. Whatever reason, I believe there was a resurrection. Marvelous, but not incredible. Now, Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There's still scoffers in today. Luke 8, 8, 18 and 8 said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I believe he's going to find some people that still believe in that there was a resurrection. And the Bible is the Word of God. Now, Paul, here in this particular verse, was a prisoner armed if you will, chain to a Roman soldier, probably. But Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and he's getting questioned, if you will, about what's happening and what's going on in the Christian movement in the among the apostles. And Paul makes this prisoner's courtroom a pulpit. And he said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day. When you know you got the truth, you don't have to back up. You don't have to take the back seat. When you got it in the book and it backs you up and you're in the word, then you can be happy about telling somebody about it. And Paul said, I think myself happy. Why is it judged a thing incredible with you if God raises the dead, King Agrippa? The case being viewed as an accomplished fact. It was, I mean, eyewitnesses there, and I'll give you some more about that later. Who would dare to call in question the overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, which proclaimed him to be the Christ, the Son of God, the only way of getting rid of it, therefore, was to pronounce it incredible. If you didn't want to believe Jesus, then you just, if you, in that day and in this day, then you have to prove that he wasn't there and he didn't, there wasn't a resurrection. So that's what it looked like Agrippa was trying to do, but Agrippa knew better. He lived in that day. Now, as Agrippa believed in the true God and knew that one of his attributes was omnipotence, he could not believe that the resurrection resurrection of the dead was an impossible thing and to this belief of his the apostles appeals and the more especially because the Sadducees denied the doctrine of resurrection though they professed to believe in the same God now they were called Sadducees there was in that day Pharisees and Sadducees right y'all remember hearing about Pharisees and Sadducees the Pharisees were the, were the self-righteous people. They were fair I see. You got me? But the Sadducees were sad you see because they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's a good way to know what they believe. Fair I see or what? 
Sadducee. Now, Paul intimates surprise that it should be thought incredible or he implies that no reason could be given why such a doctrine should be unworthy of belief. Why? Because Acts 2 tells us that the disciples said we are witnesses of his resurrection. This was after, of course, resurrection. He showed himself alive, the book said, Acts says, by many infallible or convincing proofs. He showed himself alive by many proofs. He was seen of Cephas, and after that, 12 more. And another place in the Bible said he was above, there was at one time, 500 saw him at one time. You know what the, uh, the uh, uh, atheist says? Oh, they just hallucinated. I mean, you know, and they, they, they really take you on a road. Oh, it was just in their minds. They didn't really, Jesus really didn't, wasn't resurrected. It was in their minds, hallucination. They go off on a bunch of that. But I got news for you. There was 500 that saw it. And for 500, I have the same hallucination. I think the atheist is having hallucinations. Oh, I'm glad I know there's one God. Jesus is his name, and he rose again from the grave. Oh, remarkable. Yes, incredible. No. Right? Now, you, uh, you go to Confucius' tomb and you can find it occupied. Go to Buddha's tomb and you can find it occupied. Go to Muhammad's tomb and you find it occupied. Go to Elvis' tomb and you find it occupied. But I went to Jesus' tomb and it wasn't occupied. It was empty. You know what Jesus said? I am he that liveth. Oh, hallelujah. And he lie forevermore. And because I live, ye shall live. Resurrection is not an addendum. It's not a postscript. It's not something that was just added to it. It is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. You know what? But keep in, you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. And he said, went on to say, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. But we know that he arose. So our preaching is not in vain. And your living for God is not in vain. It's going to pay off someday. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, his, he, he's got two, at least two things that, 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 that uh, made it possible. It was his promise and his power would prove that it happened. Other gods are incredible. God's word said there's gods many and lords many. India had 300 million gods at one time. But the God of Revelation is credible. I said the God of Revelation is credible. 
God can be believed. He is trustworthy. Now, Jesus said, answered and said to them, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The reason they don't believe it, they don't believe the scriptures. But I proved to you a while ago, I gave you reason after reason why the scriptures is the word of God. The Bible is the only known book in the world that both claims to be and proves to be the word of God. Watch this. The testimony of science. Everybody say S. S-C-I-E-N-C-E. The testimony of science demonstrates it. We can look at nature itself and know it didn't just have an explosion out there and all this come into effect. I could go into some detail. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Carla said some of us, um, some of us are fearfully made and others are wonderfully made. <laughs> but you, you, think of, you think of how God put us all together. If one thing is out of order, then we get sick. Something happens. We get weak. We get tired. We, 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 our heart flutters. One little thing. But God put it all together to make a perfect man. It was sin that brought sickness and disease on us. It wasn't God. Don't get mad at God when things happen. Get mad at sin. Get mad at the devil. Not your sin, but Adam and Eve's sin. Now, so the Bible is the only known book in the, world, in the world that both claims to be and proves to be the Word of God. The testimony of science demonstrates it and proves it to be the Word of God. The scrolls, there's another S there, S-C-R-O-L-L-S, that transmit it. So science and the scrolls, we have it in our Bibles now as scrolls. The scribes who wrote it, these will be good, good notes for you to make. Science demonstrates it, scrolls transmit it, the scribes wrote it, the supernatural that confirms it. We have seen the supernatural work of God in our lives. The structure that manifested how the scriptures are put together so perfectly. The stones that support it, or archaeology, if you will. Watch this one. The Savior who verified it. It wasn't just prophesied by Isaiah and the other writers in the Old Testament. It came to pass. There was a Savior born, the Savior of the world, the Savior and who verified it. And next, the Spirit that witnesses to it. Oh, I feel His Spirit right now, don't you? And watch this. And the saved who have been transformed by it. How do we know there's a resurrection? Number one, science, scrolls, scribes, supernatural, structure, stones, Savior, the Spirit, and we're saved by it. He brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. The devil can't do what God did for you. He can't change your life and get you out of drugs and alcohol. He wants you steeper in it, but Jesus can. 
He is the Savior. And these, con these combined testimonies confirm that the Bible is what it claims to be, the divine, inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. Now, and they were all, the Bible said, Acts 2, 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one another, what meaneth this? This is when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. They were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, about men out of every nation under heaven. And every man heard them speak in his own language. And then they went on to say they were amazed and marveled. Oh, yes, it's marvelous. It's wonderful. But it's not incredible. Right? Oh, they heard all, and they said, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? All these other countries are coming around into Jerusalem where the Holy Ghost was poured out. And they're hearing these Galileans speaking these, their language, proving it was a language that God gave them. Now, I understand there are 6,800 different languages at least 6,800 6, different languages, maybe more now. You know what? If he's got that many, he can surely pick out one for another sinner. <laughs> Joy, I see you grinning back there. I remember when you walked down this aisle, 49 years from the time you supposed to have got the Holy Ghost. 49 years later and walked right over here and started talking in a language that she didn't know. Hallelujah. I believe there's a Savior. I believe he rose again. Because I live, he said, you shall live. And uh, uh, your life is proof of resurrection. There are, there are 13 promises that means certain kind of promises. That means one for every month, then an extra one. <laughs> then there's the word promises mentioned 53 times. So to me, that means God give us a promise for every week, then an extra one. You know what Habakkuk said? Behold, you among the ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Acts 13, 41, uh, 41, I guess, picks it up and said, Behold, ye despiters and wondering perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. I'm telling you, no matter how marvelous it is, and no matter how glorious it is, no matter how remarkable it is, it can be believed. There, difficult is not, is, it can't be in God's dictionary. It might be in ours, but it's not in God's. Is anything, the Bible said, is anything too hard for our God? Re resurrection was not as 
difficult as creation, when God could take zero, when God could take nothing and make something out of it, create it, creation, create it. If he created it, surely he can take what he's made and make it live again. Oh, I'm looking forward to living again, aren't you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I read an article several years ago. It's, it's like this. In a cemetery in Hanover, Germany, is a grave on which were placed huge slabs of granite and marble cemented together and fastened with heavy steel clasps. It belongs to a woman who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yet strangely, she directed in her will that her grave be made so secure that if there were a resurrection, it could not reach her. On the marker were inscribed these words, This burial place must never be opened. In time, a seed covered over by the stones began to grow. Slowly it pushed its way through the soil and out from beneath them. As the trunk enlarged, the great slabs were gradually shifted so that the steel clasps were wrenched from their sockets. The tiniest seed had become a tree that had pushed aside the stones. The, the dynamic life force contained in that little seed is a faint reflection of the tremendous power of God's creative word that someday will call to life the bodies of all who are in their graves. He will also bring back every person drowned at sea, cremated or destroyed in some other way. This is no problem to the one who made something out of nothing when he spoke the universe into existence. Unbelief cannot deter the resurrection, but faith in the risen Christ opens the door to blessings that his resurrection guarantees, a glorious new spiritual body and a home in heaven. In new bodies, we will be united with saved loved ones to live with Jesus throughout all eternity. Don't tell me there's not a resurrection, there's not power to come out of that grave. Brother Marty Ballester, one of our dear friends, one of my closest friends, wrote an article. He had gone to a, he had gone to a, uh, funeral of a uh, church, a so-called church. And this is an article. I asked him, could I use it? And he gave me permission. He said, the funeral chapel was jammed with about 30 Pentecostals. I'm closing after this, I think. That wasn't in the letter, but I caught you alive, didn't I? Funeral Chapel was jammed with about 30 Pentecostals and nearly 100 Church of Christ members. Evidently, this funeral was considered important. Six Church of Christ pastors were in attendance, and each one spoke. No Pentecostal preacher had been invited to speak, yet several of us came anyway. I sat close to the back with my brother-in-law, Pastor Nathan Yandris, and my sister, Romana. The large frame picture sitting on the closed casket was one of a beautiful middle-aged woman named Phyllis. She had a look of professionalism and class about her. 
Her brown hair was cut shoulder length. It appeared to her, it appeared her makeup had been professionally applied for the photo, and her jewelry looked very expensive. The front row contained a grieving husband, and beside him, his red-headed son and daughter-in-law. The son appeared to be the only child. No other sat near, leaving the guests to assume the mourners were alone in this crowd. The Church of Christ preachers spoke one by one, and each said confronting, comforting things that I am sure helped. The final speaker did a superb job, actually. One could tell this was not his first funeral. Brother Ballesterra had preached a lot of funerals so, and, and preached a lot of sermons, so he knew what a funeral message was supposed to be like. It's been some time ago that I talked to him about this, and again, he gave me permission. But listen, at the conclusion of his homily, the minister announced it is the wishes of the family that those who wish to say a few words about our beloved sister should have an opportunity to say a public goodbye. He then walked to the front row and sat down. One at a time, six middle-aged women walked to the podium and spoke sweet words about the loss of their friend. All of them mentioned that they had met Phyllis at either AA or Al-Anon. They spoke of her friendship, her, of her church activities, her help with their lives and her struggle with addictions and theirs. At the and the, after the last one sat down, there was a moment of quietness as all waited for someone else to stand. No one did. Turning around and giving the crowd a swift appraising look, the red-headed son clutched a new Bible as he stepped to the small podium. His 25 years seemed much older. He was poised. He held the Bible in his left hand up close to his heart. With a voice that never broke, he thanked everyone for coming. He thanked the ministers that spoke, and he thanked his mother's pastor as well. With a smile to the women that had come to the front to speak, he thanked them as cherished friends. That is where his story began. Almost six weeks ago, I first heard that my mom had cancer. The doctor said that it was terminal and inoperable. I was shattered. Then they said she had only had a few days to live. I was an immediate basket case. My mom was young. She was beautiful too. He said, pointing at her picture. I went home that night and sat on my front porch. I was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette and was crying my heart out when this man saw me and stopped and he pointed at a large black man on the second row. He asked me if I was all right. I told him no. When he came up to the porch, I told him the news about my mom. He spoke comforting words to me and asked if he could pray for me. I said yes, and he did. I felt something I'd never felt before. Then he sat down beside me and taught me what he called a short home Bible study. He showed me about Acts 2.38. He said I needed to repent and get baptized in Jesus' name, and the Lord would give me the Holy Ghost. He said that Jesus would be my comforter. I prayed right there on my porch and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I told him I wanted to be baptized the Bible way. So he took me to his church, Apostolic Tabernacle, and the pastor came over and baptized me in Jesus' name. When I came up out of the water, I was speaking in tongues. I got the Holy Ghost just like they did in the Bible. He said as he raised and then waved his Bible. The 
Pentecostals responded with much noise, and many of us stood and clapped our hands. The Church of Christ crowd went silent. I was thrilled. I had never been so happy in my life. That night I prayed that God would help me to share this with my mom. I knew she had to have this before she died. I prayed that God would help me find a way to speak to her. I knew she was wrapped up in her church. She had been a lifetime member and had always been involved in one department or another. The first thing the next morning I prayed before I went over to Mom's house. When I got there, I was surprised to see a Bible laying open on the kitchen table. I asked Mom what the Bible was there for, and she said that she was close to dying and didn't feel saved. She said she was looking for more than what she had. I said, Mom, you've been a member of the Church of Christ for 45 years. And I might say, well, there's a lot of good of those people around our area, wonderful, wonderful people. But I've been a member of the Church of Christ for 45 years. She said, that's right, but I'm not ready to meet God. I need more. He turned to the Church of Christ pastor and said, sorry, sir. The red-headed new convert was filled with the Holy Ghost enthusiasm as he told his story. His eyes were red-rimmed and watering. I said, Mom, let me tell you what happened to me last night. I told her the whole story about the beer, the Bible study, the baptism, and the Holy Ghost. Mom started crying and said, Son, tell me what he told you. I sat down with her and showed her the same scriptures and acts that my new friend had told me. She got down and began to repent like the Bible said to. When she finished, she said that she couldn't leave the house to go to church. She was too weak and was attached to an oxygen tank. Mom said maybe we could fill her big jacuzzi tub up and baptize her in that. Dad helped me, and I baptized my mom in Jesus' name. She came up out of the water speaking in tongues just like I did. I was so happy I shouted all over the room. All of us Pentecostals are now on our feet with our hands in the air worshiping. My dad said, baptize me too. So I did, and he got the Holy Ghost too. <laughs> I sure did, came a strong voice reply from the front row. The dad had his hand in the air. The Pentecostals' worship was so overwhelming that even some of the Church of Christ people started crying by now. They all knew that a man with an experience is never at the mercies of a man with an argument. The worship of the small group of saints roared in the years of opposition. For several minutes it went on, it felt unstoppable. All of you Church of Christ members need this Holy Ghost, he went on. It will do for you what AA can't. It will do for you what Al-Anon can't. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved. You need the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues to be saved. If you want to see my mom in heaven, then obey Acts 2.38. When he walked back to his place, the crowd stood and gave him a standing ovation. I submit to you in closing tonight. You can't argue with an experience. They say you can't get the Holy Ghost. They say you can't talk in tongues. They came a look, come a little bit too late, Brother Paul, because I did. 
Is anybody else in here who did? Oh, yes. You can't argue with an experience. You might argue with a lot of things. You can't argue with what's already happened. It's already happened. There's a resurrection. Oh, aren't you glad you know what the death, burial, and resurrection is? The death is repenting. The burial is being buried with him in baptism. The resurrection is the Holy Ghost talking in tongues. Let us stand together. Hallelujah. 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 Let's worship the Lord a little bit. Let's take a little bit of time to praise him. to a song. People say they don't believe in healings and miracles. It's happened. And it's happening. It says, I was working in town one afternoon attending some business affairs. I heard a commotion a couple streets over and wonder, wonder what's happening there. A young man was running from in that direction and stopped just to catch his breath. I asked him to please tell me what was the hurry. He smiled up at me and said, I was trying to catch the crippled man. Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the mute man was telling myself and the deaf girl he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, ask the blind man. He saw it all. Go ask the blind man. He saw it all. <laughs> Woo! Ah, uh, yeah. Can I go ahead and read the... Other two verses, y'all okay? So my friend, if the troubles and burdens you carry are, are heavy and dragging you down, you've tried everything you can possibly think of, there's no relief to be found. That very same Jesus that altered the future of a blind man, the deaf and the lame, is still reaching out in your hour of trouble. One touch and you'll never be the same. You'll be trying to catch the crippled man. Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the mute man was telling myself and the deaf girl, he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe. But if you don't trust me, ask the blind man. He saw it all. Go ask the blind man. He saw it all. He saw it all. Woo! It's real. Oh, we don't have to prove anything. We've already got it proof. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. I don't have to tell you why I've been baptized in Jesus' name. It's in the book. I don't have to ask you why I've got the Holy Ghost. It's in the book. But they got to tell me why they hadn't. Isn't that right? Oh, the Word of God is to be believed. It's to be obeyed. God bless you. Love on somebody. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're praying for them. Hope to see you Sunday. <laughs>